<laughs> the, the asparagus gene is strong with this one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mona, and my other co-host, Alan. Alan! We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, Alan is back, and we are going to be talking about pilgrimage. And for our segment, we're bringing back Noah and Jamonin, and we are going to share with you our <laughs> top three favorite vegetables because the no longer occasional vegan is back. The king of the vegans is here. Alan, welcome hey back. guys. <laughs> na, 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 What's na, up? Na, na. Yeah. I, I wanted to do the vegetable segment because I'm very passionate about vegetables and I'd like to know what your favorite are and stuff. So that'll be cool after the conversation. It's really good to be back. We're talking about pilgrimage because I kind of went on, kind of went on a trip, and it was Mona's idea to talk about it in a significant way. Not to go way. on the trip, just to talk about. <laughs> no, the not trip. to go on the trip. To talk about it. <laughs> Alan, yeah. go on a trip. Yeah, I've it been is gone. my idea. <laughs> been gone for a while, and it feels really good to be back. It does. It feels good, good to have you back, go? Alan. Mm. Yeah, it does. So I I went um, I drove like forty five hundred miles, kind of all over the Western United States. I went through 11 different States and visited all kinds of places way too fast. I've been going through like just some personal grief and some loss and things like that. And so this trip was my way of dealing with everything I've been going through. So I went by myself in a tiny little Prius that I had bought and crossed desert sands unpaved and almost got struck by lightning, almost died when I Ran into a bunch of deer, but I didn't hit any of them, thankfully, in Montana. Lots of cool stuff. You know, I could go on and on and probably will. But the the trip itself was just kind of flying through every place. So I, did, I spent like three hours at the Grand Canyon, uh, two and a half hours in Yellowstone. Um, <laughs> it just kept going, you know. I had w- visited Mount Rainier and went up to Washington, went to Death Valley, and it was awesome. So much fun. Lots of good pictures. Yeah, I really enjoyed your updates. Like you had some really good ones. What was that story about like getting in a flash flood and like helping somebody? Yeah. So that the flash flood thing happened in Sedona. If you go to the Grand Canyon, then you drive an hour south. There's a town called Sedona. It's actually kind of cool. All these people told me to go visit Sedona. It wasn't on my plan, my itinerary. I didn't plan on going there. But after about the fourth or fifth person told me, I decided to do it. And apparently in the 60s, all of these like spiritual things converged. Um, I don't I'm not like really well versed in the tradition, but apparently like all the psychic energy and creative stuff and different religious stuff focused on this one town. And there's like places where you can stand and you feel the the energy um, just kind of like it? really interesting stuff. I didn't go there. <laughs> you didn't I go didn't to actually. Go- <laughs> no, I went to Sedona. I didn't go to the uh, the little like points where you feel the different energies and stuff. I did something far more nerdy than that. Uh, I drove out like an hour away from Sedona into the the hills that you can see from Sedona in these canyons and looked at like cave paintings from a bunch of different cultures that had painted on a cave 
and you can see the different layers of like 6,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, you know, 1,000 years ago. And then about a thousand years ago, there was buildings built around the cave area, but you can see like this big layer. And then there was graffiti from the 1800s and then the 1920s and stuff like that. So it was just fantastic. And while I was there, I got caught in a rainstorm. I heard the lightning when I was in the canyon. So I hiked out of the canyon and drove as fast as away as fast as I could away from the area. But eventually I got caught and about five or six of us were hunkered down in our car for cars for like two hours. And it was washing cars off the road and stuff like that. Oh my goodness. Side of a hill. Yeah. So it was, it was really fun. I'm glad you're okay. (laughs) Especially if you were in a Prius, man, that thing will get blown away by the wind. I name I name my Prius the twig, like the, the blueberry from psych. And I, asked the lady when I bought it if I was buying into a culture because I didn't know anything about Priuses and wasn't planning on buying one when I went there. And she's like, oh, no, you'll be fine. And I've gotten looks from people while I'm driving. And you're a vegan. Like, you're you're Prius yeah. driving you're vegan. living the yeah, stereotype, man. Yeah. I get, like, nods from other Prius drivers, and I'm like, what are you, what are you No, it is about? a thing. <laughs> I, I had a it. Prius. I sold it last year, but it, mine was named Lady Guinevere. Wait, uh, are you serious? Yeah. That's she so nice elegant. to know. Like That's very elegant. Not to get on too much of a sidetrack, but it's really nice to know that we all name our cars. What is yours named? Ours, is, well, we have our, our small Honda Accord is Tobias and our new Honda <laughs> Pilot is Cisco. Okay. Yeah. And my, my daughters came up with the middle name out of nowhere. So it's Cisco Ninny. <laughs> and then our family's last <laughs> name. I don't know why they decided Ninny, but so Cisco, Cisco Ninny. Ninny. <laughs> that's so funny. Because of that, we always named our cars because Jeff did. And we named uh, the van we had during youth ministry, Paul Blart. Yeah. It looked exactly like Paul Blart. It did. It's true. So the the thing about my trip and this episode, I was thinking that maybe maybe my trip wasn't a pilgrimage because it, it, it all, all started because I was going to hike for three days with my older brother um, and just be away from cell phone service, hike up to a glacial lake really high and which was awesome. So I guess there was a places I was going. I was going to all these places of interest. But for me, the thing that motivated me wasn't necessarily the pulling of those places, but more of I just needed to get away. I needed to disconnect and just spend hours, like two weeks by myself on the road with time to think and just be moving was really important to me. So at first I was thinking maybe my trip wasn't a pilgrimage because I wasn't specific specifically traveling to these places for that reason, but more of the traveling. And then, and then I thought maybe that's what pilgrimage is, right? Maybe pilgrimage in the traditional sense is that you have this place of sacredness or uh, importance that communities move toward and, I think it's the moving itself in the pilgrimage that's just as important as where you're going because you go through your journey, you make it there, and it's the phys- putting into the physical <laughs> – I haven't been back in a while, so I'm trying to think while I'm talking. <laughs> it's actually really hard. No, you no, guys I, do a great job. I like job. where you're going with this. I like where you're going. <laughs> you, like taking – putting something physical in the material world, something that's like really highly symbolic and like spiritual and emotional yeah. and mental. I think of things like embodied worship, you know, there's people who dance and stuff like that as a part of their worship experience. And I know for the the religious pilgrimages, it's the actual traveling that is the worship, not just showing up at the place. 
you know? Yeah. So maybe your destination can also be metaphorical if you're kind of like, I guess, meandering through these different places or you're visiting lots of different places. Because, yeah, like the classic idea of a pilgrimage is you go to a shrine or like a really holy site. Like that's your end goal. Like uh, when I I lived in Italy for a summer uh, during college and it was near Assisi. And one of the days we went to Assisi to see the Basilica where St. Francis lived. So many cool legends about his life. I love those stories. Totally incredible. Like one of them, I don't know if I've told it on the show before, but one of them was um, Francis was doing the medieval monk thing where he was flagellating himself. So like literally beating himself with a whip, like trying to scourge the sin out of his body. And he saw, he was living in this little hovel, this little cave. And he saw outside his cave, a patch of brambles, like thorns. And he was like, oh, I just can't get rid of the sin in my body. I'm going to go hurl myself into the brambles, just hoping that I'll finally like discipline myself enough to like follow Christ and like be sinless. And so as he runs out of the hovel to throw himself in these thorns, uh, they turn into thornless roses right before he lands in them. And so it's a story of grace in this Franciscan tradition. And you can visit the uh, the Assisi Basilica where St. Francis is, is hovel was. The, the basilica is built on top of it. And there's still these thornless roses growing outside of it, which is the coolest thing ever. Are um, you allowed to jump into them? You're not allowed to jump into them. But they claim that they're like one of the only places in the world they grow. I don't know the type of flowers. I'd never seen flowers like these before. But it was so cool to see the pilgrims. Like people walk the Franciscan Trail. I think it's... I don't know where it starts, but it's hundreds of miles long. It's kind of like the Appalachian Trail or Pacific Coast Highway. People hike it for days and days and days to see these pilgrims like road weary coming into their final destination to see this very holy site where St. Francis lived was so moving um, to see the sacrifices that they had made to do that. So I've heard from people who have gone to places like that or did have done big trails like the uh, John Muir Trail. And that leads up to what is it, Yosemite? And they, I always hear people say like, uh, "We have to." I, I hope that this is always a difficult thing to do. I hope it's always difficult to get to where we are, like hiking up to somewhere where there's no road access and stuff. Um, I went to Mount Rainier, and you could drive basically right up to the the base of all the mountains around it. So you just drive. I just drove up to a trail, hiked three or four miles, and drove away. And I just had this like amazing experience, but it was really easily accessible. And I've heard before that keeping things less accessible or having to walk the trail to get to where you're going is part of the process. Yeah, we don't. Christianity doesn't really have a like like we have places that people pilgrimage to, but we don't have like a like a pilgrimage ritual, right? At least that I'm aware of. If some not, traditions do, but it, yeah, it's but not don't. like the pilgr- the pilgrimage to Mecca or Jerusalem. Yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot of a lot of Christians do. It's not maybe not as explicit, but when you go to Jerusalem, especially for like Greek Greek Orthodox or some other places, there's a the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where the divine fire is lit every year. I think there's like a really big impetus to go see it. Not in the sense that you have to, or it's a commandment or something, but from early Christianity, it was fascinating going to the Holy Land and seeing all the sites that had like big churches and cathedrals built over them because Constantine's mom apparently went through the Holy Land and did a little trip and discovered places like where Adam was buried or where Jesus was crucified 
I think that's like the same spot actually where Jesus's tomb is at, where Mary's birth was at, where all these different places are at and then built churches on all of them. And for hundreds of years, thousands of years, people traveled from all over Europe to get to the Holy land, to get to these churches, to have this special connection with that place and to bring to life, like where the apostles were and where the stuff in the new Testament was written. All because Constantine's mom said so. Yes. <laughs> well, I think they were making the, if you think about it, I mean, um, pilgrimage was built into the Christian tradition before Christ, like the Jewish tradition. And Jesus in the New Testament is moving toward Jerusalem in all of these passages. And it's like the path that, that is very important. And so, like that from the beginning was returning to Jerusalem, seeing that, seeing the place where Jesus had walked his own pilgrimage toward this confrontation was an important part of spirituality. It got interesting that uh, like whole crusades and stuff were fought over the idea of pilgrimage. A lot of people say that's where it really started was the denial of pilgrims to come to the Holy land, you know, people that were getting robbed or beaten up or turned away. And so uh, wars were fought over the fact that they didn't have access any longer to these places. And that's how important it was to them. I think maybe that's not so much the case anymore with Christianity, but for most of our history, we have been pilgrims. So for you two, what is, is there a place that you still want to pilgrimage to like a significant place? I don't know. I, I kind of wonder if we can pilgrim the same way that people did before mass media. Because we see pictures of these places. We have books, we have the internet, we, we have, we have cell phones. We have, we have access in ways that you just, if you decide to go on a pilgrimage in the 1600s, you don't know if you're going to come back home. You don't know if you're going to make it back. Like that's, that's a life that can be a life challenging, life threatening situation in some ways. Like if the roads aren't clear, if you have an accident, um, you can't, you can't reach home. Like there might not be routes to send mail back. Even you might not even be able to communicate with your loved ones. So that's like a hugely, that's a monumental decision to go Mm. on a pilgrimage. Well, maybe the modern pilgrimage then is that much more important about the journey itself than the destination. Yeah. Because it's so easy I think the question is, what does it do for us? Like, I, I think connecting us to the material world is definitely like saying like these actual places where these things happen matter and like visiting them maybe connects us, us to the people who experienced or went through or performed those miracles or whatever holy thing happened. And like it connects us like viscerally and tangibly and historically and like metaphysically to those people in those times. I think I think it was interesting that you said you, you pointed out that like everybody has image, you have pictures and documentaries and all sorts of stuff that you can ingest and s- rather than actually going to these different places. And when I went to Israel and I was actually really let down by how Jerusalem looked because I had seen all the HD pictures with all the photo top photoshopped and retouched stuff to where like the temple Mount looked like this thing was basking in like the cosmos or whatever. And you get there and it's, <laughs> it's normal. It's just like regular. <laughs> and, and uh, I've told this story already, but sitting on the sea of Galilee, the place where in the new Testament, Jesus like walks on water and does, does these miracles and calls his disciples and like sitting there, you're like, this is just a lake. <laughs> like for real, this is like any other lake in the world. Uh, the lake I grew up next to, um, it's just like that. I could be sitting there right now, not looking at Tiberius, but mountains in Southern California where wildfires had burned all the trees. It just, it, it looked very similar to me. And I think like that 
is actually an important part of the modern pilgrimage is that reading and thinking about our traditions, about like physical places in the world really romanticizes all of it. But once you get there, like all that romance is really stripped away. And um, if you still have like, like we're, we're talking to post evangelicals, right? Like that's, or that's where our context is. That's who we are as a post evangelical. Like uh, I still hold on to the fact that God has operated in human history and Jesus you know, God's operating in Jesus and the life of Jesus and what he did. And so to think that God was a part of just like really basic stuff, regular, untouched, unrefinished stuff is a very cool thing. And so that's what pilgrimage did for me is it connected me to it because the place I went to was just ordinary like me, you know? So maybe it like, un- it unothers the other. Yes. So like what, what motivates people to, go on pilgrimages because I, I think I, I kind of had a pilgrimage of my own. Actually, I, I've talked about b- getting divorced a couple of times on the show, but about three years ago, um, after all the dust settled, I just needed to start over. And I was living in California at the time and I was like, screw it. I'm going to go to school on the East Coast. <laughs> so I transferred. I was actually had completed a year of seminary already. So it's tough to go through that in seminary. But, um I decided to transfer to a school on the East Coast and my sister and a friend and myself packed my tiny Prius. We packed Lady Guinevere to the gills with just just enough stuff to get by. And we took a two-week trip across the country together. And that was one of the most healing, incredible journeys. And I think you could call it a pilgrimage. Like I wasn't going to a holy site that existed, but I was going to like my future life and a place that I was starting over and rebuilding like myself. And that became a really sacred experience. And in fact, my sister, Maddie, who is an incredible songwriter, wrote a song about this trip that brings tears to my eyes. Every time I hear it, it's one of the most beautiful gifts that anyone's ever given me. And we're going to play it at the end of the episode. So please stay tuned for that. We'll announce it later on, but it's so good. It's so beautiful. But it talks about love bringing you home. You know, at the end of the road, there's a there's a love that will bring you home. And I think um, that's the point of pilgrimage, not only to journey out, but to come back home and to see home with new eyes um, and to rebuild yourself, you know? Yeah, you you went, it sounds like you went to be changed. And I think that's why a lot of people go on pilgrimages. Is they, they expect an experience that will change them. For you, it's rebuilding your whole life. Like that's that's massive. But for some people, it's, it's sometimes like a spiritual change they're expecting to come back a different person. Well, it's just it's just another, I don't say religious or spiritual practice, right? Like we we want to do something outward that reflects what's happening inward, whatever that is, you know. And some of us we can't go on a journey or travel, but we can figure out ways to, you know, have that experience in small ways that take us out of our routine and try to physically manifest something that that is intangible in our heart and in our life or spirit mm-hmm. or whatever we want to call it. Yeah, it's like to see more clearly. Yeah, you were asking, Jeff, well, what that is for us. Do we still have places we want to pilgrimage to? And the, actually, the reason I went on this trip instead of act, flying somewhere where I really wanted to go is I because I've been in grief, I didn't want to go to those places that I've been wanting to pilgrimage to because I didn't want the grief to touch it for some reason. This is my own thinking. And I just went to all the other places like the Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, that weren't like huge in my heart, but places I wanted to see. So if, if I had to say like, 
a place on the planet that I still want a pilgrimage to, it would be Ireland. And I've thought about this since I was a little kid. My great, great grandfather was an orphan in Ireland and he was orphaned when he was like 11 years old. And the nuns uh, took him and other orphans and would leave them on the edge of the pier when the sailors were leaving to take cargo over to America. And it, out of the hope that maybe someone would take pity on one of the orphans and pick them up and put them on the ship. Right. And so he made it over somehow and came to America. But like my history goes back into Ireland and I have other parts of my family that are Irish too. And I just want to go to that Island. Like when I think of Ireland, I think of this just massive Island with a life of its own a history of its own that I'm somehow a part of. And I, I just imagine like going back to Ireland and as soon as I get there, going to the ground and like sinking my hands into the soil and that just reconnecting for some reason with all of that history that is still a part of me and is like still in my veins and stuff. So that's where I want to go for my pilgrimage and have this epic romantic experience. What's going to happen is I'm going to get there and it's going to be disgusting and there's not going to be green grass anywhere. And <laughs> no, not like possible. I thought it, <laughs> no. nothing like I thought it would. Or you could get uh, there and be like, Hey, this is where I want to live for the rest of my life. Cause it's so wonderful. <laughs> I don't, you never know though. That's, that's the yeah. big question mark, right? So it's Ireland for me. What about you guys? Where do you have places you want to pilgrimage to? I would have said Jerusalem before, like that, that was highest on my list and I've been there and it's just awesome. Astounding. I know Jeff's been to Jerusalem. Yeah. It went a long time ago, but it wasn't for, I don't know. It wasn't for any kind of pilgrimage thing. It was still great and it was still wonderful, but I think I was a little too young to fully appreciate everything. As far as pilgrimage, I don't know if there's a place that I want to go. I don't know. I don't feel that connected to a bigger story, or at least at least a family, bigger story like that. Um, I thought about. It. I think wasn't I've already had. Chicago, wasn't that Chicago for you? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Like, I feel like I've had my my pilgrimage was. Um, my, my grandmother was a very significant person in my life. Like she was, she was my parent. She was my grandparent. She was everything. And uh, when she passed, there was a lot of. Um, it 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 was a lot it was very stressful because i was in charge of her estate and there was a lot to deal with and we got to this point and we i've we've shared this before and then if you listen to the episode with my wife a couple a few weeks ago uh, she shared this but we um we kind of got to the end of all that stuff with the estate and there was this freeing thing and my grandmother loved chicago she would always talk about chicago she would always uh you know want to go there and remember when she was a kid and, and she grew up there like she just loved it and like she would vote for anyone as long as they were from chicago so she would she'd be very excited to know that hillary clinton is in uh in the running this year and uh and she even when i grow up like my i didn't have a dad so all of my sports, my grandmother loved football and basketball and baseball. She would always watch it on Sundays and it was always the Chicago team she root for. So this is like just rooted in there. So when, when all that stuff was gone and at the time my wife knew she was pregnant, we planned a trip to Chicago and it was, it is still is like the best, most significant vacation I've ever been on. Like it was, it was like being in this place that my grandmother had talked about so much and being there after this one phase of our life had ended sort of, and a new one was beginning because my wife was pregnant and, um, uh, it was, 
it was the best trip ever. Uh, it fell apart shortly after that when my wife miscarried and it threw us into this whole tailspin for years after that. But still, really, it doesn't take away from from that moment. Like I still look at that two weeks there and it was it was really significant because even just personal changes for me were happening in that because I, you know, I mean, obviously, probably when you find out you're going to be a father, there's some reflection that happens. And um, I don't know. It was just this. It was it was like a two week long sigh of relief. Uh, at the time, I didn't know it was going to be the quiet before the storm. But in that moment, it was great. It was it was amazing. And I feel like that was kind of the only the only place for me that had that kind of significance. That's fascinating. I mean, it in into. Yeah, like it felt like a a really spiritual would you say like a spiritually refreshing place because of your love for your grandma like you think it was oh yeah that? yeah no it, it had it had ripple effects because we got back and it was um there was like a two week two or three weeks before we, before my wife miscarried and we found out it, before that happened and it was just like this breath of fresh air like i was i don't know it was it was a it was it was one of the few moments where i could say like i can i can put this small period of time as it being a major shift in the way that I interacted with the world around me. That's that so was in a positive way, not in sacred and transforming in a way. Yeah, very much so. And and wow. that's, that, that's what pilgrimage is about is that this place has a life of its own. You know, your grandma talked about Chicago and Chicago has, has a life of its own and you encounter that and are changed by it and transformed. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm reminded of something because when you first asked, you know, where are you, where are you on a pilgrimage? I was like, I, I don't, I, I have not sat around daydreaming about a specific place, but I remembered on the trip that we took across the country visiting New Orleans and not realizing that I wanted to go there really, like I had a specific desire to, not that I didn't want to go. I just kind of felt neutral about it. But when we got there, something about that place really connected with me on a visceral level. I think it's being musician and being surrounded by some of the greatest live music I've ever heard and musicians everywhere. And there's this different pace of life and a different feeling to the air and the way people treat each other. I felt like I could connect again to like the magic of the world that I had lost touch with this something, this connection that I hadn't had for a long time, maybe since childhood. I still to this day can't explain it, but something about that place like revived something inside of me that was like this like lost creative urge like this uh this desire to to exist in the world of enchantment and love um for for art in particular and for being with people i i don't know yeah something about being there really i feel like kind of almost changed me so i guess maybe that's but i didn't know i was really going there on purpose we kind of went there because you know the other people in the car were like oh it'd be cool to go and we know someone there we could stay with um and then once we got there something like clicked for me so I think I'd I'd like to go back. I'd like to go back and listen to more. Maybe go to Satchmo Fest. Like they have a giant jazz fest um, uh, to commemorate Louis Armstrong's legacy. Um, go back and just like bask in that art that's being created. And and it's interesting that I've heard about the musicians in New Orleans. It's uh, it's there's very much a culture of like not making money on your art, and so. It really is about being in the moment and being together more than probably almost any other live music you'll ever hear. Um, it, there, it's a cultural practice down there to be completely and utterly present with that music that's being made then in that particular context. So um, 
yeah, I mean, a lot of people have talked about how magical that space is and that the culture. Um, so, so I, I got a little taste make of it. A, you'd want to make a return trip. I'd want to make a return trip. Yeah. And, you know, see if I have the same set of feelings. Maybe it was just that one time in the past that I had that kind of connection. But I I don't know. Sometimes you just go to a place and something clicks. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, I don't know why, but I'm standing on holy ground and I got to take my shoes off. I'm not even sure why I'm taking my shoes off, but it just seems appropriate in this moment. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and that, and lest it sounds trite, like that could be anything for, for a lot of people. I think about um, even universities, even schools, some people look at those leaving home and going to that school and being a part of the life of the school, being their pilgrimage. Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, is that how you say his name? I, I don't know. How I to think say it's Ta-Nehisi Coates. Ta-Nehisi Coates. Yeah. Uh, Between the World and Me, just an amazing book. And in it, he talked about Howard, I think it was Howard, is was like the mecca of the like African-American studies or something. I forgot exactly um, how to describe it, but basically it was this place where you had all these people doing all of this work and so many, so much culture was represented and it had this huge life for him of its own that going there was like going to a, a pilgrimage. So I think a place having life of its own is kind of necessary for that, you know, for, for the pilgrimage to happen is that you're moving to be a part of something that's not you and not your life and not a part of what's normal. And so for some people that's completely human, you know, human generated um, humanity. And for some people it's this miracle. God has broken into the world that God is usually not a part of and did something fantastic. I think we've done a lot of work breaking down the, the idea that there's these two different worlds and God doesn't live in our world. Um, but this is God's world. We share this world with God, you know? And, and so to say something's human or divine and cut those things in half is maybe, uh, to do a little bit too much violence to the idea that God still works with people and in human culture, but still there's places that are built on the idea that a miracle happened. Right. Well, I think that it reflects more of, you know, we've we've used terms like, um, you know, connecting and a part of this, and it, it seems to be that that significant comes because we we both felt like, at the very least, we felt like being in that place we were entering into someone else's story, or on a broader space, a whole group or a section of history or something connected. So I wonder if the pilgrimage is on our, and our connection to these places and events is less about the place and even maybe less about what we're personally getting out of it and more about the fact that we're connecting to something bigger and outside of ourselves. You're adding yourself into the mix yeah. of what's already there. Exactly. You're bringing yourself to it. So technically then by that definition, like oh, uh, technically by that definition, I sound like a robot, but <laughs> <laughs> based on what you're saying. So then could you take a pilgrimage to like a remote mountain that no one else like does anything at or knows about? Like, or does it have to, yeah, if it, ha- if it had some sort of significance that you're connecting to, you know? Okay, I like, get it. Yeah, but the, I, but the I, very I fact that you're taking a pilgrimage, you're still entering into a bigger story of people taking pilgrimages. You know what I mean? That's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think good. For, I think for me, the what you're talking about, Jeff, the best way I can relate to that is I wrote, a, I wrote an article about going to the Temple Mount. And I remember 
putting my hand on the wailing wall, uh, the base of where Herod had built his temple, the same stones Jesus would have seen. And like for the first time in my life, I, I kind of went on that trip for scholarly reasons. It was a class for seminary and I was very focused on uh, researching some things. It wasn't as romantic as the rest of my life is, <laughs> but still touching that wall <laughs> was like <laughs> touching that wall was like, uh, I realized that this had had a life of its own apart from me. I grew up, you know, thousands of miles away. I had nothing to do with this. I had nothing to do with the building of this temple. Um, I had read about it, you know, in my life and I had thought about it and it was such a big part of my religious upbringing, but I realized like, here it is. And it's existed and it's had this life of its own that I was not a part of, you know, and I probably never would have been a part of if it hadn't been for Jesus and the Jesus movement and the early Christians who um, opened up space in the Jewish community for non-Jews to come in. It was just if I felt like I was connecting to something that was completely foreign to me. So I think that's that's got to be what it is. You're bringing your bones to this place and adding yourself to the mix. Yeah, well, even not something that you were connected with, but something that you have great significance for. I mean, it's kind of a light example, but there's this movie called Fanboys, and it's about this group of friends who one of the the friends finds out that they are sick, they're going to die. So they plan a cross-country trip to Lucas Ranch, you know, <laughs> like they're going to go see the place where Star Wars was. Because, you know, we have these, I mean, nerd culture is pretty big right now, and we have these these movies that we're you know, that we have fond memories of our childhood and to be at any part of that, we feel like we're a part of this big thing. And I think that it can be something that we're unfamiliar with, that we find ourselves connected to or something that we're, that we love, that we feel that we want to feel closer to. And we kind of have that connection. I mentioned to Jeff that I might go to Casa Bonita in Denver. Uh, is that what it's called? Did you go? And, <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, Alan, there was, you there was like three or for four the rest play, of your life. Right. Probably. There was three or four places that uh, have something to do with TV shows that I watched that I wanted to go see. Uh, I did not go to Casa Bonita. That's South Park. Um, there's a chubby character on South Park who goes to this Mexican place and there's like people diving off of cliffs. And I guess it's really bad Mexican food, but it's an experience you have to have. because It's the Chuck E. Cheese own. of <laughs> Mexican food places. It's all about the there's experience. There's only one left and it's in Denver. I didn't go to it, but I'll tell you where I did go. In Portland, I went to the feminist bookstore that inspired uh, Portlandia's sketch with the feminist bookstore owners. There's the, their, the characters are recurring on the show. Oh, my um, God. I love those characters. <laughs> me, too. I love them so much. So I went. It was closed. It was really, really oh, annoying. No. And it's run by volunteers. So I put my body up against the glass and felt all the space that my masculinity created between me and the feminist world. And I could never possibly be a part of it. <laughs> women and women first, Alan. And people drove by and were like, what is this guy doing? But I felt good. <laughs> <laughs> but see, and then I went, Por Portland is weird. I Then I went to the world's smallest park. I, I was circled up by a bunch of segways at one point. I was stopped for a light and just segways came out of nowhere. Probably 30 or 40 of them just circling my car. 
but see that's what i'm saying like we we make light of all these different things and you know you talk about i, I talk about star wars and you talk about portlandia and stuff like that but even like that pilgrimage where you feel like you're connected to something that you love but it also is a is <laughs> is a segue sorry i didn't mean to say that um into <laughs> like connection with others because when you retell that story when you when you share your journey like you now have whether it's a light fun personal connection because you were a part of some sort of pop culture or whether it's something deeply significant and religious, like when you talk about that, you're entering other people into that in a way. And I think it's powerful. I think our our stories and our journeys, they draw us into something bigger. And if we allow them to, they draw others as well. I recently read a book about memory. This is so interesting that you're saying this about story. Uh, and it was saying uh, Moonwalking with Einstein. It's a really fun book about memory and the history of memory and memory palaces. Someone's and all told me to read that. Might have been me. With Einstein. It yeah, been it was. A, it's a fun book. Yeah. Maybe it's if I about, read it, I would remember. If you told me to read, maybe. It. <laughs> so it's about this like journalist who starts studying memory techniques and then ends up through a various turn of events competing himself in the World Memory Championship. Like getting really into all these techniques and geeking out about it. So it's it's really fun. It you know, it's his own story. But he said he was talking in one of the chapters about how people actually not only have better memories later in their life, but they remember more of their life if there are significant milestones in that time. Let me see if I can get this right. So people who have like lived humdrum lives, they'll get to the end of their life and they won't really have clear memories about their life. But people who've had like milestones in their life to like mark the time being passed have much more vibrant memories of their life. Like if you don't make vibrant memories, everything kind of starts mushing and scrambling together. Um, and at the end of your life, you might actually not be able to remember hardly anything. It, it's so crazy how this works. I think I think I'm paraphrasing this correctly. If I'm not, go read the book and tell me <laughs> I got it wrong. But yeah, corrector. It's funny that I'm not remembering this properly. But uh, <laughs> the point was the point of this was that in order to remember your life, you actually have to live it. You have to go out and live it. So I wonder if there's something to pilgrimage about, like actually not just believing that your life has significance, but going out and making stories, like having stories, like creating memories and having stories to tell so that your life actually takes on significance because you've made it memorable. Mm, I like that. I, I think that that touches on something that I um, told both of you I would like to talk about in the future. And that is the difference between hashtag life goals and contentedness and the tension between the two. Like wanting to make memories constantly and to like create a museum in our lives of all these vibrant things that have happened can itself become an obsession, right? And it could be something that drives us and that takes you out almost, of the present moment. Yeah, we're almost never content with to interact with the world that is around us because we're constantly thinking about the world that we want to be in or want to be a part of. And how we present ourselves on the pilgrimage and where we go makes a big difference because we can just cons like me. I felt like a consumer. I <laughs> I went to Yellowstone for three hours. Didn't see any Buffalo went to old faithful and like had to look at my watch to wait because guess what? It's not actually as faithful as you would think it is. There's like a 20 minute gap where it may or may not go off. That's oh, a long how time. Dare it. No, it oh, really is. Oh my God. It's Nature like plus or minus 17. Ways. So it's like you expect it 17 minutes early and it doesn't happen until 17 minutes late. So that's almost like a half hour where people were having to wait for something to happen. Oh, that must That's, have been terrible. It was for terrible. You. Hundreds of people. The sun, oh, the sun was what, out. What did you even do? It was hard to see your phone because there was like glare 
from the sun and <laughs> it was just it was awful and there was there was all these other geysers going off in the distance but like everybody was waiting for that you know did you know that they used to uh do their laundry in old faithful really back in the day yeah they would just stick their clothes in it and when it went off it would just clean it immediately it's like well, blasting there. It doesn't yeah. seem very healthy for your fabrics. Hey, listen, recently I was in line at U-Haul and there was only one person working. The line was like 20 people long. So literally it took me an hour and 20 minutes to get to the front of the counter. And at, at, at one point, the guy at the counter kept leaving so much. We thought he was like about to quit or something. But at one point, one of the guys in line, you know, because like when you're in line with strangers, no one talks to each other really. But one of the guys in line goes, does anyone know what's going on right now? And everyone kind of murmurs and he goes, I just wanted to open up a dialogue and everyone kind of starts <laughs> chuckling. <laughs> and pretty soon we're all kind of like, you know, talk, we're all kind of like chuckling and talking to each other. And like, it's like all, all of a sudden you could feel all those barriers and all that strangeness kind of start to dissolve in that shared experience of having to wait it was really bizarre. Like you could feel the familiarity start creeping in the room and then people start cracking jokes. And, you know, I wonder if there's something to that too, that uh, brings unlikely people together in these journeys, these types of journeys. Yeah. I think it's a, a combination between what you do in the moment and then how you later frame those moments. You know, because I think I think what Alan says is true is that this idea that we can be obsessed with creating memories and creating moments, but forget to actually live them. But at the same time, like we've already lived a life. So how, when we reflect on that life, when we reframe our past, how do we, you know, how do we divide it into eras and really reflect on what, what things changed us and what didn't. And, you know, when I think back on my history thus far there, I feel like I've, I mean, this is just the OCD in me, but I've, I've segmented my life into these eras that, that I, I know there's these significant shifts in the way that I thought and then how that changed our, our lives. So I, I think that part of the, the pilgrimage is also a bit of reflection that helps us give a, a reframing for what we've already experienced. I think the way I'm thinking about this is more like we're moving toward a seeing, not like making something sacred that hasn't been or like we're moving into a, a site of what is already sacred or like right. moving closer to like seeing reality for its full self and seeing love for its full self. Right. You're, you're not, you're not creating, you're just showing up. You said Mona, like in the course of this conversation, like as we were talking about places when I was sharing my story about Chicago, how that reminded you, you know what, that moment that I had in or, or, or New Orleans was, was very significant. So I think part of it, I don't know. I think it's a combination of all those things. Maybe, maybe you help the, me see it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, maybe know. the point of question. pilgrimage is, is this idea that it, it brings everything together. You know what I mean? Like past, present, and then a new desire for the future that it's this, this, I don't know. Rejuvenation uh, of like stirring up what's old and sad and tired. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like yeah. the sixth sense moment, you know, like oh, it all fits. It all makes sense. The one thing I wanted to say about, my trip and pilgrimage was um this is stupid obvious but in grief like experiencing loss and and grieving and having like your world kind of turned upside down is such a difficult thing for me and uh knowing that there's really big stuff like the grand canyon all the space in the earth um or cities like portland and culture and TV shows that are based off of it, like Portlandia, all that big stuff exists and is still there, even if 
I'm not. Even if the whole world like around me changes and everything changes in me, there's still these other things. Mount Rainier is still going to be Mount Rainier. You know, you go there thinking it, it, it could be flattened. It could, you know, something could happen to it. But once you're actually there and you see how massive it is, you're like, that's not going anywhere. You know, that's still going to be there, even if I'm not. And so just beholding the otherness of things and the bigness of things kind of uh, reoriented me a little bit hmm. for my trip. That's good. So maybe the real lesson is don't try to put a formula on it. Just experience life and do what, <laughs> do what you do and do Pilgrimage it well. Pilgrimage is about formula. It's all about, it's important. You have to stop at this place. You have to make these steps, you know? Yeah, it it's, definitely has to have some structure to be a pilgrimage. Yeah, but my structure is going to be different from your structure. Right, but it has to have the structure, I think. You can't just like, I, I think like uh, that's what differentiates like just a road trip from pilgrimage <laughs> or just traveling or tourism from pilgrimage. Like pilgrimage has like a depth to it and a groundedness and a spirituality and awareness and a, you know, presence to it that that other trips don't have. And for the for the purposes of per- personal um, edification and learning, you know, like to be so a then f- deeper person. For my trip, it was mostly tourism, but there was probably the the best instance of the spirit of pilgrimage was like seeing Death Valley. I knew I wanted to go there. I wanted to be on the lowest. I wanted to be at the lowest place on earth when I was at by lowest, (laughs) just because it felt right. (laughs) That sounds, Uh, makes sense to me, man. It does. Uh, uh, I think there's a lot of truth and significance in that for sure. Uh, again, yeah. I think it goes back to that idea of we, I think it's important for us to find external examples or experiences of what's happening inside because it, yeah, it's part of the, the, the grieving process. It's part of the, it's part of the celebratory process, right? Like it's part of every emotional process is trying to get it out there in some way, shape or form. All right. Well, I think we're running to the end of the time. Are there any final thoughts on this subject from any of you two before we move into our segment? You know, this whole conversation, I've been thinking about a book that my mom read to us as kids that it's got kind of like archaic language. I think it was written in like the 40s or 50s. But I really I still refer back to this book in my imagination when I'm thinking about kind of life's journeys. Um, It's called Heinz Feet on High Places. It's uh, the main character's name is Much Afraid and she lives in the valley of fearings her her relatives are constantly breaking in her door and taking advantage of her and all the fears that you know plague her and beat her up and the good shepherd comes to her and says hey why don't you come with me to the high places and she says she can't she has um her feet there's something wrong with her feet and she can't walk properly so there's no way that she can hike these high places and leap about the crags and the rocks like the good shepherd does just like a goat like a a hind or a deer that can you know walk on these almost impossible slopes and he says just start the journey and you'll learn as you go like you'll you'll have what you need as you go and it's it's a really incredible epic obviously it's like f- kind of fantasy but um my favorite part of the book is when she's starting up this really steep part of the trail that's starting to get really difficult for her. And the good shepherd leaves her with these two traveling companions and she's excited to meet her new, you know, buddies. Uh, But then they show up and they are these like towering, like shrouded kind of scary looking figures. And she finds out their names are sorrow and suffering. And those are going to be her companions. And she's pissed at the good shepherd. She's like, why did you give me these? These are the worst companions ever. But then she starts to learn that they that they have a they bring her strength and they bring her solace and and um, 
a sense of support that she didn't expect. So there, this book has really got a lot of amazing gems. And I think for anyone who's been through hard things in life, it's got a lot of relatable elements to it. But that's a, that's a book I recommend. It's the Good Shepherd Jesus. I think so. <laughs> I think so. It's 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 a Christian it's a Christian book, you know. It, it's interesting though. I think it's got a lot of interesting points in it. My my final thoughts not even remotely deep. So here it is. Uh, I think you should walk somewhere, like really far away. Like pick pick a point. Um, and this is something I've been planning on doing for myself. I'm going to pick a point that's like 50 miles away and try to walk it in one day. I think for me, the the biggest thing that I've learned so far in my life, which is not very long and (laughs) I haven't done a whole lot, but just realizing that there are like sacred things all around us and that regular life is itself a gem, uh, a cathedral, uh, a Mecca, like all these places that everybody uh, holds up. Regular life has so much to give us too. Like we can be a part of the whole thing, the whole story, um, and the, the, the cities around us. I, I really like that. There's a, uh, Pokemon go app out there. Now I played it for about a day and <laughs> I went to a grave site and it gave me Pokemon balls. And I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, oh, because I got, yikes. yeah, that's pretty crazy. Right. Yeah. But, I, but the cool thing was there's all these points of interest in, in a town that I didn't know about. And I only knew because I played that app for a day. There's these kids connecting to this larger world out there because of this, like, you know, make-believe app or whatever that's connecting them to their actual town and and the place that they live in. So my final thoughts are just like, why not create a pilgrimage for yourself? Why not look somewhere, pick pick a point on the map that you think is interesting, read about it, think about it, do a do a plan, and don't drive there, just walk. <laughs> and when you get there, like, that'll be your experience. Maybe Why the walking part's try? important, huh? It is. It that, is. That that's like the common thing I think in most pilgrimages is. is walking. Yeah, or even just simple as walking the the route you usually drive, just from a like the right. same thing but from a different perspective. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I did that a few times. I once uh, we lived down south. I walked a place that I normally drove and didn't realize how significant that was. We wow. really do fly around, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every day. It takes us out of the world. Let's let's get back to let's or get, get back, back to, the world. to it. Plus, you walk yeah. around; it'll give you more time to listen to us because that <laughs> is what <laughs> should we do it. Uh, I, this I entire to, thing was a pitch. It guys. was. A, <laughs> this has to be, we took you on a pilgrimage of to, advertising. Before before we close out, seriously, I have to say this just as a throwaway, and I should have talked about it earlier. But I think it was in the '60s the Catholic Church talked about seeing the church as a pilgrim people, people on the journey, people on the move. And just the idea that the people of God or the people of faith in general are moving towards something, I think, is very important and significant for me. So it's almost like all these things are echoes and shadows of that is like, where are we headed on the whole uh, toward the divine, toward wholeness? I think that that's a a theme that's huge that is just reflected in these small things. So um, church as pilgrims, literally in the 1700s and now a little bit less than literal. And now with Pokemon. (laughs) Pokemon's the answer to all of our spiritual woes. All right. Well, let us know (laughs) what you think. If you have anything to add to this conversation or you'd like to share one of your pilgrimages, you can do that on the show notes at arenacast.com slash 78. And for any questions, comments, concerns, or general suggestions for the show, you can 
find all the ways to contact us at irenacast.com slash feedback. On the other side of the music, we will be doing a Noah and Jamonin discussing our three favorite vegetables. So, knowing Jamonin, this is a segment that we do to share a little bit about ourselves. We've come up with a name for ourselves. This is our celebrity trio name. We've explained this several times, but if you're new listening, this is this is what we do. Uh, we were gonna we were thinking about maybe doing this segment while Alan was gone, but Jamone doesn't sound right. So <laughs> we need <laughs> no, the we need the end part. Me. No, we can't. Yeah. We can't. So in you need me because you wouldn't have awesome ideas like top vegetables exactly so in celebration in celebration of alan's full-on immersion into veganism we're gonna go ahead and share top three (laughs) favorite vegetables so i think we should go in order i think we need to prioritize this where we'll all share three and then we'll share two and then we'll we'll reveal what the number one is (laughs) i'm i'm shaking with anticipation Uh, all right idea (laughs) <laughs> we'll add some drum rolls in post <laughs> okay drum rolls yeah okay great so jeff you're you're the first in jamonin since we're going in order let's go in order in order that's a good idea okay my number three is zucchini hey that's my number three no joke Aww. that's your number three as well that's See, look awesome at that. yeah zucchini is the third tier kind it, of vegetable no it's but but it's it's like it's your designated hitter though i mean you throw that thing in the oven and they're gorgeous when they come out so good well you know what it is is i I would say maybe like two weeks ago zucchini would have been maybe number four but it bumped spaghetti squash for me because of a recent tool that i got i got one of those little things that turns zucchini into noodles you know that you like turn the crank and it spins it that's awesome and now like i have new ways to cook it which automatically makes it better in my mind it's yeah great nice so this the, is a recent top three. Work, huh? That's right. Okay. So Alan, you've already revealed yours as well. So Mona, what's number three? Okay. Well, mine is not super nutritious, but it technically I think it's a vegetable. It might be a grain. I'm not sure now. I'm I'm doubting everything I know. <laughs> um, but because I have a love in my deep soul for popcorn, I'm gonna go with corn. For number Ooh. three, I also don't eat gluten, so I, I tend to eat more corn products, you know, tortillas and whatnot. But I love making myself some tor- cor- uh, fresh corn tortillas with masa. Like I have a tortilla press. Ooh, nice. They're so mm. good. But yeah, popcorn. I make popcorn two different types of ways. I make a savory popcorn that has seven <laughs> ingredients and I make a, a sweet popcorn that is, try this sometime, equal parts, Brown sugar, butter, and marshmallows all melted together to make like a caramel. And then you put it on popcorn. And it tastes like kettle corn. It's incredible. And you put a little sea salt on top. There you go. That's your next snack, everybody. And it's a corn. vegetable party. It's, uh, it, or it might be a grain. Is it a grain? I think corn <laughs> is a grain. Is it vegetable? Sure it's vegetable? <laughs> oh, wait, really? <laughs> Let me Google it. I'm going to Google it's it right starch. now. It's a starch. No, I don't know. Google I, it. I think it's a starch. Though. Is a starch, though, a vegetable? No, it has yeah. to be either one of those things. Uh, it's corn. definitely a starch then, right? <laughs> is corn a vegetable? Nope, it's it is. starch. Technically, all fruits are vegetables, but not all vegetables. It's actually a grain and a fruit. What? Corn seed that. is a vegetable because it's harvest eating. Corn there seed is go. grain because it's a dry seed of a grass species. So it's both. <laughs> it goes both ways. It's, it goes no, all three it's ways. A fruit. It's because all three. Because of the seeds. 
the corn uh, swings always. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's, that's why it's in everything. <laughs> All right. So number two, Ooh, my number. I'm gonna get. I should do a number three because you took mine. No, no it's fine. It's, we said we could double up. Well, then let me say one more thing about zucchini. Okay. <laughs> it deserves it deserves it. Slice it thinly, right? Just long spears. Put it in a pan and put some oil like olive oil and a little bit of garlic and a little bit of pepper and put it in the oven at f- like 400 for 15 minutes and thank me later. There you can go. write right. into the show and thank Alan for his amazing yeah. zucchini recipe. Be like, oh, it changed my life. I actually eat vegetables now. I got healthier started my family and <laughs> illnesses all because of you. Alan's recipe is creating babies, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> all right, Jeff, what's your number two? All right, my number two is asparagus. Oh, that's okay. a good one. I'm going to turn off the computer. That's my number two. Nice. What? Alan, we are I on the same page. I'm not, I'm not joking because I'm doing – I was vegetarian this whole year. And I was vegan for one month at the beginning, and now I'm vegan again in August or whatever. I started being vegan again. And uh, every day I eat asparagus and sliced zucchini baked with olive oil, every <laughs> day? garlic, and pepper almost every day. Very nice. Literally. Oh, like, I love it. And now you're stealing my identity, Jeff. Well, I don't need any, I don't need to say <laughs> anymore, so Alan. You you you've explained why why we should let Alan tell us number so, one first next round because this is yeah. becoming a problem. It is. I, I'm getting upset, aren't I? I think I am. Asparagus. <laughs> asparagus is like the king of the vegetables. You know this, right? That's why it has a crown on top of its head. Asparagus. Makes your pee smell like aliens. You know what? That's a genetic thing, and not everyone does that. N- no. Really? It's a genetic thing because Possibly because not everybody can smell you can't it. Smell yeah, not everyone it. can that's smell it. it but that's right. I think that's interesting. But it's not like your some bodies produce that enzyme and some don't. It's the acid that your body creates when it creates an enzyme to actually digest the asparagus or whatever. So it's a certain type of a- acid. Every time though, I forget that I eat the asparagus and I'm like, oh my god, I'm dying. I need to get on WebMD to like verify that. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a hypochondriac. <laughs> <laughs> the the um, asparagus gene is strong with this one. Yes. <laughs> okay, my number two. Uh, I also don't know if this counts as a vegetable. I think it does. Does kale count as a vegetable? Kale is so... It's a vegetable. I made kale chips today and they're so good. I hate yeah, kale. Apparently, I hate it. I like... But have you had kale chips? I've had kale everything. I've tried it and it's. I just can't do it. I can't do it. I don't really? like it. I have to tell you, Jeff. I hate kale chips. I do not like eating kale like raw but you put it in a shake i love the way it makes it makes all shakes taste it's just awesome you got to do it okay so alan since i've trumped you uh two times in a row do (laughs) you do you want to do your number one avocados are number one oh that's such a good one dang it i forgot about avocado i'll give you they're vegetables right are they fruit they're fruit they're fruits because they have a seed yeah oh the the best part of my day, I'm not even kidding you, is taking avocado, a piece of bread, getting like really grainy bread, toasting it, and then smearing av- just fresh avocado on it, putting tomato on top of that, and then sprinkling some seasoning on top, maybe some cilantro. Best part of my day. I'm getting it's, so hungry right now. Oh, that sounds so good. amazing. Hey, you want to hear what my number one is? Jeff, yes. you want to go last? Yeah, I'll go okay. last. Like for the big drum roll. Okay. My number one has to be 
potatoes of any kind. I freaking love, I think, I think it's my Irish roots talking or something, but just, they're so versatile. They're so tasty. They're so comforting. I realized that two out of my three vegetables are like not nutritious. Uh, actually, potatoes <laughs> have- oh, Corn and potatoes are like, potatoes you don't even more- think vegetable. <laughs> Potatoes have more uh, nutrition. Well, I, I you really basically eat just said French fries. Like, yeah, you, <laughs> you did. Basically. I did. I did say that. I don't really eat them though. I mean, I like preparing. <laughs> you guys, mashed potatoes with gravy. Is there anything better? Mashed than this potatoes world are than mashed really potatoes. Good. Yeah, seriously, they're really good. I don't know. Mm. Fine, fine. I'll pick a healthier now. one. Thank you. I like broccoli because it smells <laughs> like butt. I don't know. <laughs> no, mine is actually broccoli. Like I can admit that it doesn't smell very good because I wait, grew up in the same wait, area really? that you did. Yeah, it really is. It's my number one. I love broccoli. It's I think broccoli. It's, I love mm. broccoli. If it's prepared well, it's amazing. I prepare everything well, so I'm just putting that well, out there. Well, all right. All right. Well, I think that will do it for us this week. If you enjoy what you hear and you want to support Irenacast, you can go to irenacast.com slash support for all the ways to show some love to the show. And don't forget that after we sign off, we're going to be playing that song from Mona's sister about the journey that they had. Please enjoy it. And her name is Maddie Hunt. You can find her at Bandcamp. And we'll have that in the show notes. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining the conversation. We packed our bags and headed east to find another life. Tied up every loose end, kissed our mama goodbye. I saw you were in pieces and I wanted to make it right. I saw you as you danced and watched the rain renew your youth The wooden floors of New Orleans bore witness to the truth And on a dock in Georgia, I saw the weight of hope break through And you, it's alright Cause on the other side of the dawn Is a day that you never know on the other side of the storm is a song that'll lead you Scary bugs and wild donkeys I think God is in the storm cloud Thundering all through the night We sang our way across the hot and humid summer air Southern hospitality saw to her every care The color all around us side of the dawn is a day that you never know on the other side of the storm is a song that'll lead you
birds and grasses in the wind are keeping time I can feel the distance scenting in my heart returning 